0: And that was just really well suited because I knew exactly what I was doing. I understand the the economics of things, the analysis of that, and that's really the key thing. And then vetting, my biggest challenge was vetting partners that I invested with.
1: It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there, but how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you've come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, Our goal is to provide investors with insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, accompanied by our guest for the week, Matt Hansen. And today we are the Two Smart Assets. For those not familiar with Matt, he is a retired corporate executive that transitioned to full-time real estate investor and has built an investment portfolio that includes over 2,000 units of multifamily apartments located in Texas, Tennessee, and Florida. And now Matt is on a mission to help others avoid the volatility of the stock market by passively investing in real estate. Matt, my man, it is great to see you. Welcome to the show.
0: It's a pleasure to be here, Daniel. Thanks so much.
1: Yeah, uh, we know we've been looking forward to this for a few weeks now. You know, we kind of had some scheduling things we had to work through. But uh, before we get started, man, I got to say, you know, we talked about this a little bit before before the show. I want to say congratulations, man. You just launched your new podcast. You know, I know that's a big thing. It takes a lot of work. So congratulations on that. Tell us a little bit more about it. What's the name? Uh, what's it about? And where can we find it?
0: great great well first congratulations on 185 episodes i had no idea how much work you put into this daniel For until sure. i started doing it so we're at, we're at eight episodes right now so it's called better returns invest okay. like a pro and it's really focused on helping passive investors people that don't know there that these things are available to them you know things like real estate apartments specifically um storage units vineyards all sorts of alternative investments which really aren't that alternative. So that's really our focus there is to educate people to say, hey, you don't have to count on Wall Street like I did the first 20 years of my career um, for all your investments. And don't do that. You shouldn't have hundred percent of your money in the Wall Street. So that's really my focus on that podcast is just to educate people in introduction to what's going on, other opportunities they have to protect themselves in their future. So yep. that's that's our focus on.
1: Absolutely love that. Everybody listening right now, after you check, after you listen to this episode, go check out Matt's podcast. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna blow your mind. And I love what you said about alternative investments. You know, a lot of people view these alternative investments for people yeah. like you and me. This is this is the investment <laughs> vehicle, right? Not really exactly. the alternative. So, uh, yeah, I love that you said that, man. But, uh, anyways, you know. We're going to dive into stuff. We're going to dive into your background, your transition from corporate America to a full-time real estate investor. And we could talk a little bit about that obviously, but uh, you know, tell us more about that background, that story and that path that actually got you to real estate investing.
0: Yeah. So my wife and I started like 33 years ago when we first married flipping houses. And that okay. was a thing before anybody did this. I mean, this is like early nineties. So, um, but then once we started having kids, that wasn't practical because we'd live in the houses, we'd flip them, we'd hold them for a year. So I didn't have a, a short-term capital gains, so we'd hold them strategically, and I did all the work myself. We stopped doing that, and then the kids went off to college, and then about six or seven years ago, I got back into real estate again and discovered this multifamily thing. Hold it. There's no work to this. I'm a corporate <laughs> executive. I know how to run a business. I know profit and loss. I know economic analysis. I'm thinking, this is my jam. So then uh, we got big into passively investing to begin with. So okay. it was a limited partner on, yeesh probably five or six deals, okay. um, about six or seven years ago. And that and that was just really well suited because I knew exactly what I was doing. I understand the the economics of things, the analysis of that, and that's really the key thing. And then vetting, my biggest challenge was vetting partners that I invested with. And I had some stumbled on a couple issues there, and I've learned from those. Um, and then the last, oh, probably three or four years ago, I started being a general partner and running deals. I've run quite a few deals uh, from LOI to close. And then we'd give an asset manager, one of my partners would do the asset management, because that was too much work. didn't really want to do that. The fun part is helping investors get their money out of Wall Street and putting in something like a multifamily asset. So that's really what we've been doing, focusing on that, um, is really just passive helping passive investors get their money out of Wall Street.
1: Yeah, I love that. You know, and we mentioned, you know, alternative assets and how this is kind of the asset now, right? And so I I think that, you know, for people like us, and I know for me personally, when I've gotten into this world where all I talk about is real estate investing and passive real estate (laughs) investing and syndications, right? And so for me, it just seems like everybody's doing it. It just seems like, you know, my whole world is passively investing in real estates or real estate syndications or something like that. But the truth is that i mean that couldn't be farther from the truth right like there is a very small percentage of people that actually know about this and take advantage of the of the benefits that mm-hmm. come with you know passive real estate investing and so we're going to dive into a lot of that now but um uh, you know i do want to talk about your transition from uh, you know oh, your yes. your your corporate career to um being a full-time uh, real estate investor so uh, take us walk us through that. You know, I mean, that's not an easy thing. I think that's a big change. Right. And I think a lot of people are kind of can be afraid of change when it comes to that. But you mm-hmm. really you made this you made this shift. Um, talk about that shift. Did you go through any trials and tribulations? Was there a bunch of mindset uh, shift that you had to go through? Walk us through it.
0: Yeah, it really wasn't that challenging because what I did before as a corporate executive for a Fortune 100 company, this is stuff. I love this stuff. It's fun. Real estate's a blast. So I started passively investing to begin with while I still had my corporate gig. And I did um, a lot of passive investing. And then even before I retired, probably three years before I retired, I moonlighted nobody other than I worked for a VP. And he said, Don't tell anybody in the company you're doing this. So I didn't tell anybody, but I would run deals behind the scenes. Wow. And do the, you know, do the due diligence, do the marketing materials and do all this stuff, but nobody knew Outside of my family, that I was doing this because I couldn't really let it out. There was a little bit; it wasn't truly a conflict of interest. It just didn't look real good for a corporate executive to be doing this side hustle thing. Sure, um, which really hurt me in the long term because now these people are like, oh, I didn't know you were doing real estate, uh. and so now I've got to educate them on that. Yeah, I've been doing this forever. You just didn't know it. Um, so that was it. It really wasn't too much of a mindset shift because I was already in that world in the you know the finance world and all those things. So it was pretty smooth for me. Um, I think the biggest challenge I've, I had was, I lived 33 years in this corporate bubble. Everybody's working for the same company. Now, you have conflicts between departments, you know, just naturally, you're dealing with legal or purchasing or HR or whatever occasionally, but they're all going in the same direction. Now, mm. that's not the same when you get outside that corporate world. I'm dealing with other individuals that aren't always pulling in the same direction. And that was the, the, my biggest awakening was, that, oh, not everybody does the right thing or follows all the rules or gets things done on time or does things right and that's that my first few deals like oh hold it i need to treat this like it's my business like i would normally and hold everybody accountable set clear expectations here's your roles and responsibilities and i expect these to be done in this time frame otherwise the deal doesn't close and we have millions and millions of dollars at stake so I really I kind of stepped into this not really realizing that, oh, OK, not everybody operates like a corporate person does. Some people are out there just winging it. And that that was my big rude awakening. And I really quick, quickly picked up on that. And from now on, you know, from then on, I made sure everything's very structured. I ran it like a Fortune 100 company. So Ooh. I think that was my biggest lesson that I just didn't know that I lived in this bubble my whole life.
1: Well, you know, and it's cool too, because you kind of find your fit, right? You were the guy they needed to, to implement those procedures and those SOPs or whatever, right? You need to like, you're the guy to, to fill those gaps. So, you know, they might not have known it, but you stepped in and kind of changed things like, okay, this is a lot better now. So, you know, whether or not it was intentional, it happened right for the better. So I want, I want to backtrack a little bit. And, you know, you talk about you know your investing strategy before you got into real estate, before you got into passive real estate investing. Talk to us about that. Was it stocks and bonds? I know we mentioned before the show you kind of got burned a little bit by Wall Street. Walk us through that and uh, tell us what happened there.
0: Yeah, I just did what I was told. In you know the early '90s, I put max out my 401k. So proud, twenty two percent or twenty five percent. I'd max that thing out every year for like twenty years, and then wow. I wised up and said, "Hold it." You know, I could retire early if I had access to all this money sitting out here. And I I did end up retiring early, but and I did pull some money out of my 401k and paid the 10% penalty because I knew I could do so much better than having that tied up in Wall Street. I'm so glad I did because I probably have 20% of my portfolio still in Wall Street, 60% Mm -hmm. in real estate primarily, and then 20% in venture capital stuff, the really fun, crazy stuff that we (laughs) talked about. Yeah. So, so I've really it just blossomed once I discovered, oh, okay, you know what? There's things outside of Wall Street, but I was schmuck. I followed what I was told, what Wall Street did, and, and I just really wish I would learn that much, much earlier than I did. I would be so much better off. And that's why I'm so passionate about letting other people know that well, it may not be right for everyone, but you just need to know there's options out there because it's not a good move to have 100% of your investments in Wall Street. It just isn't.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about that. You know, I think I think there's there's you know when I look back on when I found passive investing, it was really a light bulb, right? And I was kind of kicking mm-hmm. myself like, man, I wish I, I really wish I'd have found this earlier because you know I could have the velocity my, the velocity of my capital could have been increased because I could have been putting it to work. It had been way more effective, right? And so I think there's the the issue you run into for a lot of people is they don't know about this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so. Can you talk about how you found passive real estate investing and what was that spark for you? And, and and just that, just walk us through that because I think for a lot of people, they don't even know where to begin, how to begin, you know, any of that stuff. So walk us through your experience, please.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. So in 2008, when I took a $300,000 loss in my 401k and I was like, hold it, I, I've got I've to figure something out. And that's when I started looking around and I that's when I started listening to podcasts. Mm. Actually, it was probably a few years after that. And I discovered, hold it, there's something, you know, called, you know, syndications, which is a scary word. So I spent Daniel, I spent a lot of time studying. I'm talking like six months or eight months before I was even comfortably talking to anybody about it because of like I didn't really know what it was. So I studied, I read, and you know, got my hands in anything I could. And that's why I'm so I'm so so patient with my investors. Like it'll right. be two or three years before people invest with me sometime. And I think yeah. that's absolutely fine. I've got to meet them where they're at. Because not everyone was ready. I was motivated. I need to do something differently because this this stock market game is not, I'm not going to play this anymore. Um, so I think that's the key is really just educate yourself. Listen to great podcasts like this one and, and learn from experts, people that have went through it and made mistakes, learn from those mistakes. I think that's the key is really just educate yourself. And it's... Um, a term we used to call socialization. We used to use the term at work. If there's a big change coming with a corporation, I had a department of, you know, hundreds of people, I would socialize. You start dropping little nuggets of okay, well, here's what's going to look like when we're going to change how we run this business or we're going to take over a division. You socialize the concept before you go and implement. And I think that's what a lot of people have uh, a slow adoption uh, adoption period. And then I've got other people that they learn about syndication two weeks later they're they're sending me 75000 dollars to invest in a deal. It's like, I would have never done that, but they did a good job educating themselves. So that's, that's kind of the path that I took, but everybody's path is different.
1: Yeah. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head there is you gotta, you gotta be at the level that that investors on, right. You gotta come down to where they're, where they're at. Cause you know, somebody, like you said, somebody might be ready for action today. You know, I mean, they might've, they might've educated somewhat, or maybe they're just action takers. Right. But then you said, as you said, you know, you might have an investor on your list who takes two to three years before they're ready. Right. And you just got to come down to the level, educate, keep communicating effectively. And, uh, you know, and then getting them comfortable with obviously you and then also the investment vehicle. Right. So, um, you know, as a passive investor, I learned pretty quickly through all my education and all that stuff that uh, you know there's three main pillars of passive investing, right? The sponsor, the market, and the deal, right? I think we we've all heard that a million times, right? And uh, and so um, I kind of want to dive into that though, you know. Um, and as as we go deeper and deeper, you hear that the sponsor is probably the most important of those pillars, mm-hmm. right? And so you know, you said kind of. Uh, A little bit earlier, you alluded to that maybe when you were um, first getting into passive real estate investing that you had some challenges evaluating sponsors or, or, you know, you encountered some challenges with sponsors as you went through. Maybe you didn't have your uh, vetting process finally tuned yet. So uh, (laughs) walk us through that, man. What did that look like? What were some of those challenges? How did you overcome them and adjust your strategy from there?
0: It was, it's the person you're investing in a person. That's why I put out so much educational stuff and I share my background. I'm not some schmo off the street. I ran a billion dollar business unit for a Fortune 100 company. I know profit and loss. I know how to effectively manage a team and a group of people to, to achieve the goals. And the apartments are just the same thing. It's you're buying a business. It's an apartment complex. It's a business. You run it just like you would a, a larger corporation. So, um, but not everybody has that experience. So my my second investment, my second passive investment was with an individual. There was three partners, and one of them I knew pretty well. And the other two I didn't. The one I knew well with backed out of the deal after like six months after it closed, said, ah, you know what? I'm done with multifamily. I'm going to go off and do something else. Well, his other two partners weren't quite as strong as him, and they end up having a capital call within a year. And my mistake was I didn't vet all the partners. I just vetted the one guy I really liked and knew and trusted. Well, I didn't never thought he would step away from the as a general partner. And that was my mistake. So now whenever I invest, I really look at the asset managers and there's usually make sure, you know, who that is and who's their backup because that person may be taken over the asset. Those are absolutely critical. I always tell, and I only partner with people that have re- we have really strong asset managers because mm. that's the person that's going to run this deal for six years. They're going right. to be managing your money for six years. That was probably my biggest mistake. The economic analysis stuff was easy. I understand how to read spreadsheets and Excel. I used to live in that world. Um, but really, like you said, Daniel, it's the individual you're investing in. Because a, a bad asset manager can make a good deal bad, but a good one can even make a bad deal pretty okay. So you right. really need to be careful. I think that's the, probably the number one thing is, um, is really the individual. I agree with you on that.
1: Yeah, 100%. And, and, you know, if we can I would like to kind of just keep rolling with this, right? Because I think for a lot sure. of people, I mean, you hear you hear a story like that and it's like, "Oh, that's a huge nugget. I'm going to take it with me and I'm going to use it when I'm looking at deals, right? You know, focus on the asset manager, really know who that is, make sure that yes. team has worked together for a long time and have experience working with each other. But, you know, there's more to it than that, right? There's when you're evaluating a sponsor, there's a number of things you should be asking or even evaluating to make sure that they're a good fit. You know all that good stuff. Can we go over some of those some of those topics sure. from a high level? What does that look like? What should uh, newer passive passive investors be looking for uh, when evaluating a potential sponsor? Uh, I look for
0: track record, and again, it, past performance is the best indicator of future performance. So I've been I've probably led six seven deals, I think, and I've okay. four of them. They have went full cycle, and that means okay, we bought it and sold it. And we got made a lot of money for our investors and we managed it well during that time. So I'm pretty picky who I invest with. It's only, it's only old guys like me or or experienced people like me that are business people that have really know what they're doing before I place money with them. So you want to look at their track record. How have their past four or five deals look like? Did they go well? You know, and it's, it's really easy to find that you can check references. It's, it's a small world. Like you said, Daniel, there's That's probably small. a couple thousand of us. I think I have, three or 4,000 people on my Facebook list and there's probably 2,000 of them are all syndicators like you and I that are in the business. It's a small world. Word gets around really quickly. Who are the people you don't want to invest with? And the same thing is who would you trust your money with? So don't be shy about that. You know, ask around, you know, ask for references, but really see the actual performance in black and white How did their last few deals go? And if it didn't go well, what was the reason? Was there something out of their control? And that can happen. If you're in a market that something was unplanned that you just couldn't predict, but then again, you shouldn't be in that market. Then (laughs) That's why we (laughs) only invest in Texas, Florida, and now actually Arizona, because the population growth and employment growth, the two most important things in multifamily apartments. Because if you've got that all you need to do is do a decent job of managing that asset because there's people moving. There are people moving there. They've got to have a place to live regardless of what's going on in the economy. And I think that that kind of dummy proof is, and that's why we only invest in those, those big um, growth states. Um, but that that's really the key thing is look at their track record. That's really the best thing you can do. And then how do they communicate? You'll know mm-hmm. really quick. Are they responding quickly? Are they... Sharing the information that you ask, is it detailed or is it kind of halfway, okay, here's the answer, but it wasn't really much thought put into it. So I would say the communication is key. That's number one. Are they going to tell you when things are going sideways? So you want to know. Now, you need to give them an opportunity to figure it out and fix it, but you shouldn't, shouldn't be like six months later, like that capital call one. Nobody knew there was an issue. And I had lots of friends invested in that that were even more savvy than me. They all got duped as well. But we should have known that, that if the asset managers would have let us know earlier on one of the other limited partners, and that's what happened, one of the other limited partners stepped in to do it because they'd invested in 30 deals. So things like that, communication, track record, and um and really what is their business experience? You know, if they worked, if they were barista and now they're running deals, <laughs> eh, maybe not invest with that person, okay? And it happens. <laughs>
1: That's crazy. I I love that, you know, and, and really you're, you're spot on, right? And so I think with the communication thing, I got to be honest, there's been, there's been times where I've been evaluating a sponsor to potentially invest with, and I've asked for, you know, a sample of their communications or just, just with going back and forth. And it actually led me to not invest with them just because I just, it was one of those things there was, maybe there was too many mistakes or, you know, whatever, or I wasn't being communicated with uh, what I, and what I thought was an efficient time manner. And, you know, it's just one of those things like, man, that, that has been a reason for me not to invest. So, uh you know if you're a sponsor out there or a syndicate or whatever, definitely be pay- paying attention <laughs> to your communication because it is massive, right? Uh yes. people want people want people want responses if they have questions, right? So, uh, uh I think that's huge. And I love that you brought that up about the markets too, right? So, uh you know, if you're if you're investing in the right market um in good markets right with you yep. know population growth job growth all that stuff and you're with the right sponsor it it might not be a, you know the best deal you've ever seen but you have those two things to fall back on the good market and a good sponsor so the deal will probably turn out all right but the other way around you might be in trouble, right? If you got, if you got a great deal with a, with a bad sponsor, I think you can turn sour pretty quick. So I think, uh, yeah, I absolutely, absolutely love that point, man. So, you know, you guys, you guys are focused uh, on multifamily. I love multifamily. I invested passively in many, many doors uh, of multifamily real estate. Love that. But you know, there's a lot of turbulence in the market right now. Fed's trying to fight inflation with uh, rising interest rates. We're seeing that happen and continue as we move forward. And we felt that across many sectors of real estate, especially multifamily. Um, How, you know, you guys are seeing this, you got boots on the ground. How are you guys seeing this affect your business? And have you guys had to make any adjustments um, during the last, I don't know, six months or whatever?
0: Yeah, we've got a big, like a $40 million deal in uh, Florida right now that we've been working on for a couple months. It's under contract and everything, but we keep the the closing keeps getting delayed. So the interest rates have went up 2%. Wow. But, but what we did is we stress test our underwriting so well. And you always hear, oh, conservative underwriting. What well, we really did <laughs> Because we said okay, eight percent cash on cash, but really the number was nine and a, nine point eight. So okay. this two percent interest rate, we're still at our eight percent. What we committed to our investors, we're still going to deliver because we'd hedged. We said we don't know what's going on with the Fed and all that. And then same thing with occupancy. We're in Florida, one of the best markets, Jacksonville. I think our I think we're sixty seven. If we were sixty seven percent occupied, we positive cash flow. Wow. So look at those things. Make sure you're asking the the, the person you're investing. Now, what's your break even point for this property? Because if it's like 80 mm, percent, things could go happen. Another COVID could hit or something crazy. You want something in the in the you know, 70s, maybe low 70s is the highest I'd go on a break even point. So these are the questions you want to ask. That's why you want to be educated before you start investing. And then what markets? And, and I have people bring me deals and say to, to look at for them. Well, it's in. I won't say any states, but it's in Middle America, in a population of forty thousand people. No, that don't invest in that. That's <laughs> too small of a market. If the one employer in town goes under, either yeah. you're again vacancy, you're at fifty percent. You want to be in a in a, a city that's you know hundred or two hundred thousand. Our minimum is usually two hundred thousand population. So even if one industry you know tanks, another, there's another in there in, in place to, to cover it. Same thing where we don't do student housing, we don't do senior housing, we don't do military housing, stuff like that, because those are things that could be impacted by one catastrophic event. The government decides to shut down that that Air Force base or whatever, boom, there's your occupancy. Because it's not, not 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 just the um, it's not the military people that live there, but all the businesses that support that right. are living in those, the service workers are living in those houses. So we really are pretty critical and pretty picky about where we put. We try to make sure that as dummy proof as possible, the places we invest in. So our investors don't have to worry about that.
1: And that's the best thing you want to hear as a passive investor, right? That your sponsor is for, number they're taking, in my opinion, the two biggest things, uh, very seriously, right? Risk mitigation, and then also capital preservation. Not only are you guys covering those, but you're still giving the returns to the investors that you projected, right? Because you have this, you have this margin that you've built into the into the underwriting, mm-hmm. just from being conservative and understanding, hey, we don't know what's going to happen, so we're just going to build this uncertainty into the model and then go from there, right? So, uh, yep. as a passive investor. Absolutely love to hear that, man. That is uh, that's critical. Um, you know, so as we, you know, as, I just want to ask one final question before we get out here. As we move into the new year, uh, you know, a lot of people are predicting some more turbulence as we see, but uh, despite that, what's on the horizon for you guys uh, at Hanson Holdings?
0: We're still we're still very bullish. I think we're going to slow down. We did lots of um, lots of deals are being done this year that I think things are going to slow down because interest rates just simply high. Sure. But there's still good deals out there. It's just going to take a little longer to find them. Really, I'm moving into Arizona now. I've got a friend, that friend a new business partner Well, I've known him for a while that is buying in Arizona. He just moved there. He retired. He's an old guy like me, corporate Perfect. dude. He retired. He moved to Arizona. So I'm going to work with him because <laughs> he's, he's boots on the ground. He's already got a deal under contract that I passively nice. invested with him with some wow. some retirement money that I can't put in my own deals. So I said, hey, I know I can trust you, here's some money. So I've invested with him, so I'll be partnered with him and still Texas and Florida. You just, again, if you're a good operator and you, you pick the properties well and you run them well, you have a good property manager and asset manager, there's no reason why you can't continue to make money
1: in those markets. Love it. Love to hear that, man. Uh, you know, I'm I'm always investing and I love to be putting uh my my money to work. Uh, you know, especially, especially when times are tough, right? If you can find the right operator and put your money to work, that's where you want to be. Always staying somewhat, somewhat active in the space, uh, with you know, keeping some dry powder on the side as well. But um, man, this has been a great conversation, Matt. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Before we get out of here, though, tell listeners about anything else you have going on. Again, you can um, talk about the podcast some more, but just anything else you have going on.
0: Just go to hansenholdings.com, H A N H-A-N-S-E-N, S E N, holdings with an S at the end.com. We've got lots of educational material out there, and that's the whole thing. Before you invest, educate, educate, listen to Daniel's show, listen to Better Returns podcast too, right, and get educated. Know what you're doing before you put your money out there, because I don't ever want anybody to be in a fit position where they invest and three months later they feel like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. So I think education, 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 that's what I love what you do, Daniel. So, so wonderful for for new investors.
1: Absolutely. That's it. go to
0: Hansonholdings.com and check out Better Returns on Apple, Spotify. I think I'm on 15 different platforms. Same ones you are, all the platforms. We're on all the platforms.
1: It's where you should be, man. We're going to make sure to put all the stuff in the show notes so everybody can can reach out, check out Hanson Holdings. Definitely check out the podcast. Absolute fire. Love that show. Matt, this has been a great conversation, man. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me today.
0: Thanks so much, Daniel. You're wonderful.
1: Hey, real quick before we get out of here, do me a huge favor and leave a rating and review for the podcast. We're always looking to bring you guys the best insights and strategies for building our real estate portfolios and your ratings and reviews really help with getting top guest speakers that are the best in the real estate investing business. I promise this will only take you a few seconds and I really appreciate it. Thanks for being awesome, guys. Cheers.